0: You're not going to build a great business off of people forgetting that they are subscribed to your product, in part because it's not like Amazon or HBO where you forget and yeah, it shows up in your credit card bill, but you're not ending up with like physical stuff in your apartment that you wasted your money on. With CPG, you get a reminder in the mail that you wasted your money. Yeah. And I (laughs) I joke, it's like- A rude
1: reminder, actually. It's rude. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. For this episode, it is my pleasure to be joined by subscription expert, Ben Fisher. Ben is the co-founder and technical CEO of Rodeo, a consumer-centric subscription platform for challenger consumer packaged goods brands. As one of the leading names in the subscription space, Ben also hosts Subscription Radio, a podcast dedicated to understanding the nuts and bolts of subscription commerce. Ben, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. We should rename my title to uh, Anti-Subscription Subscription Subscription
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know all the listeners are going to be like, hmm, I'm intrigued. What's going on here? (laughs) Actually, to kick off the whole conversation and jump into that, I'm curious. I always like to know kind of like set the context, learn the background of my guests, things like that. So maybe we start this off by learning your interests and what brought you to the world of subscriptions and then maybe what turns you into the anti-subscription person.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. I'll do the substantially abbreviated version of this. So mm-hmm. it has absolutely nothing to do with subscriptions. But <laughs> I grew up on a tree farm in Midcoast, Maine. And my first business was actually at elementary school. There was a strawberry patch near my home and I just pick strawberries and sell them door to door in a little wheelbarrow. And I had built, I had actually created, my mom still has had a copy of my business card that I had designed. That's so funny. Uh, the strawberry man. And nice. so, um, but what was funny is I would use the money to buy computer books, to learn JavaScript and HTML. And so this is probably around fourth or fifth grade. And it's like one of those weird things where it's like, I'm a fairly well-adjusted adult considering I started like reading programming books at such a young age. So, like That's I look insane. at my parents, I'm like, I'm like, weren't you like, what is this kid doing? But I guess the point there is I wasn't super interested in creating things that exist that are bigger than me. I'm an only child. So I also had a lot of time by myself. And so I think a lot of those, buying those things, and I grew up on a tree farm, you can buy in all of those things. And I had a lot oh, of time. Quite the internet, triple
1: whammy there. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: and i guess what made me relatively normal is i did play sports so at least i had that i still yes. had and i was a skateboarder and snowboarder and so looking back on the course of my life i was having a conversation with someone the other day where it's like a lot of what i do and I'll, this is the last side i'll do so i also am like very much into freestyle hip-hop and like mm. hip-hop culture i was a freestyle so I was a professional freestyle rapper for a bit no way not, not a very good one but yeah I was like a, i was in a group still do it today. Like really want to scare the crap out of myself and just do something. But when I look at, so a lot of the the skills I've developed over the years were in design and programming. And when I look at like mixtapes and hip hop culture and things that I really enjoy about even music, I'm not a musician, but a lot of it's around like taking something that already existed and adding a little bit of flavor or a little bit of style and making it feel new or making it fun. Like taking something that's like really freaking boring or monotonous and like find a way to make it cool and fun to do or make it slightly delightful and surprising. And so for me, like that is product design. And that's a lot of what I love. And so I'd say like as an adult, I started off working in advertising as a Flash developer before Steve Jobs killed Flash. And I was like a designer and programmer working in advertising. And then I'd like, launch digital products on the side. And eventually they started working. And so I was able to stop the freelancing and working with agencies. But I'd say about nine years ago, I got really interested and focused on building products that help e-commerce entrepreneurs make more money. Because I think for any entrepreneur, one of the early challenges that's really fundamental to whether or not your business will succeed is will people pay you money for it? And I will say that I was like several of my earlier businesses after college were really good ideas. They're still really good ideas, probably really bad businesses. But one of the things I wanted to do was like, I will at least want to focus in like a, like a playground where there's money where I can like run around and like hit walls and knock myself out. But as long as I'm not a complete idiot, that there's still like a business model in here. And so for me, it's really been focused on how can I create what I would describe as like superpowers for e-commerce entrepreneurs. And, you know, you can get really technical where now it's CPG and they're selling non-perishable products. But at the end of the day, like what I care about is creating really cool things that help people make more money.
1: So how did this all come together to where you are right now, which is rodeo?
0: As I mentioned, I started focusing on e-commerce space as a place to build products. And about nine years ago, I co-founded a company called CartHook, And we were early in the Shopify space. So it was prior to Shopify being public. And Shopify was just one of our several integrations. And what we noticed was there were a lot of digital marketers moving from ClickFunnels who were, now that this idea of drop shipping had come about there were all these digital marketers who were really struggling to profitably acquire customers on Shopify because they didn't have the typical tools that they would use as marketers. And one of those big ones is you offer something for less upfront, like you have like this hero product, and then you make your profit or your break even through post-purchase upsells. And at the time, Shopify didn't even have that concept. And so we came up with a solution and we're really, early into Shopify. And over the course of about Six years grew that into a substantial business and then eventually sold the company. I'd say around that time, subscriptions became popular in e commerce. Like, so one of the early subscription companies I remember is like Birchbox and Boxycharm. And oh, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was really much like Box of the Month. And yeah. then around, I don't know honestly what year it is off the top of my head, like what year this started, but I remember around the time that we were building Cart- uh, CPG mm-hmm. brands in particular and Shopify got into subscriptions offering their products as a subscription. It no longer was just, oh, well, it's a rotating box of trial products that you're subscribing to. Instead, like, hey, I sell like a six-pack of coffee. I will mail that to you every single month. And so that a lot of our customers at CartHook also sold subscriptions. And so, and I think appropriately as, as an entrepreneur who's built B2B SaaS companies, like I've been dealing with subscriptions as a business model for most of my entrepreneurial life, like churn and retention and expansion revenue. Like I totally get it. And it's a space that I also have a lot of experience with just as someone who runs a subscription-based business, although it's software, which is, I'll say in some really fundamental ways, very different than what people are trying to do around subscriptions with physical products. Because the physical world has a lot of its own challenges, especially when you do subscriptions.
1: And I think something that's really hard about subscriptions in my point of view from the customer side of things, just like you said, all these different brands are bringing on subscriptions now. So yeah. I think maybe the last five or six products I've purchased, whether it was hair care, skincare, this, that, whatever, have been subscription models. And it's driving yeah. me a little insane at this point, because it's just too much of this one model being thrown at me mm-hmm. as a customer, where it's obviously marketed in a certain way. And maybe it's it works for some people. But then in my head, it's also scary to subscribe to that time and time again, because what if I forget my next month if I don't want to use anymore or something like shampoo where they suggest every month or every three months and that's not enough time for me, whatever it may be. But I'm curious to know, I'm sure with all your years of experience of working in subscriptions and expansion revenue and things like that, you must have heard so many a roller coaster stories and potentially horror stories about businesses trying to get into the subscription. So I guess... First thing kind of breaking into this space in my random set of questions is how should a business decide if they should be subscription based or not? Like how do they make that decision?
0: So before I answer that, I want to ask you. So did you buy from all those companies? Yes. Did you buy it? Was there an option to buy it at one time and there was also a subscription option? Or do you was there only a subscription option?
1: I would say for four out of six of those, there was an option for one time or subscribe and save, basically.
0: Right. And did you buy the subscription version of all of them, even when they had the um, option for one
1: time? I think for two of them, I bought the one time, and the rest I did subscribe for about two ish months. Yep. One product I stayed with them for actually, I spoke about it on a previous podcast. Don't know if the company will ever share that, hopefully, in <laughs> But I think I stayed with them for maybe a year and then I switched to another subscription brand. But this new one that I'm subscribing to is actually the shampoo example where. Uh-huh. Normal people go through shampoo maybe in about three to six months. It takes me like nine months to get through a shampoo. So oh, wow. That's what I was talking about. But yes, to answer your question, I'm kind of. i
0: just And I'm curious, are there like, so how many subscriptions do you currently have like active Ooh, off the top of your head?
1: Including my TV subscription? No, I'm just saying like
0: physical subscriptions, <laughs> okay, not, physical. Not, not media.
1: I think just two at the moment. Yeah.
0: That makes sense. What you described and even what you just said around it, it feels like everyone's offering you a subscription. The short answer is they are. It, <laughs> I think mean, the last stat I saw is around 70% of c brands shop buy off for a subscription. Wow. Yeah. And
1: it's. Yeah.
0: So, a few things I think are important to say. As an entrepreneur and someone who builds like SaaS companies, recurring revenue is amazing. It's fantastic. And you know, even in like the B2B SaaS world, there are like challenges around churn and like how do you like retain customers? But this idea of predictable revenue is built into software as a service. If you're dealing with physical products, the problem is consumption rarely matches the replenishment interval, and that leads to a really bad user experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a couple of things are happening. Like early on when subscriptions were introduced, this lasted for a while. It was like subscriptions were an innovative unlock for brands brands over and over again, we having to like just sell direct response through email marketing. This idea of recurring revenue and subscriptions was amazing. And for a lot of consumers, it was in fact useful. Problem is now every brand is doing it. And you combine that with some of like the very real limitations of subscriptions in the real world, your lifestyle. And now that we're post-COVID, I assume I can say that we're post-COVID, <laughs> where like people are traveling and like going outside, like your lifestyle gets in the way, whether it's you're not consuming things as though you're locked in your house and all you have is the things that are, like the rations that are with you. And I say that as someone living in New York City during COVID, it was like, I had rations and I had the things in the house and I ate them and I didn't go anywhere. Now I'm a human being again, right? And so (laughs) too much product is the number one reason people cancel subscriptions. And so when I look at just the emphasis and I talk to brands all the time as I'm saying like, the number one priority for a lot of brands is to get more of their customers into subscription cadence. And I think the actual question should be first off, is my product a good experience? This is a subscription. I think the second piece of that that's connected is what value can I provide outside of it of me just sending more product? Whether that's membership piece, is there some sort of extra benefit outside of just more product? And maybe that discount you mentioned, like the subscribe and save, because yep. just trying to attract people into your subscription through a discount is like we know in business, like if all you're using as the carrot is the discount and you're competing on price. Like that's a really challenging losing battle. People love discounts and they are a good way to like kind of lead to impulse purchases, but you need to use it selectively and strategically. And ultimately people are not going to subscribe for a year because they're getting 10% off. Yeah, It's true. just not true. And, you know, I'm just looking around my apartment right now and I have one subscription and most of the DTC operators I talk to have like maybe one. A lot of them don't have any. And I think that's interesting to me because it's like, a lot of these brands are trying to push people into a subscription when they themselves don't have subscriptions. So for me, I often ask them like, what does that tell you? So like as an entrepreneur, you often like using the recurring revenue brain. But the truth is that with all these brands offering subscriptions now, it's not actually recurring, it's not predictable revenue. It's not the predictable revenue that it used to be in part because everyone is competing to get you into their subscription program. And the second thing which you mentioned was you only have like two subscriptions. So what ends up happening is like, if you're going to subscribe to something else, you're probably going to cancel one of those other subscriptions by and large from a budget perspective, given the price of CPG products, three subscriptions is really the most that people can afford in parallel. And so what ends up happening is there's no loyalty. Like people are just like swapping around. And I guess this goes into like why we started rodeo is like, there has to be a better way. Mm -hmm. And I think it starts with recognizing that subscriptions aren't right for all products there's probably a subscription or recurring revenue piece you can figure out for most products, but maybe the automatic delivery of a product isn't right for all products. I think the second piece there is that ultimately consumers don't care about subscriptions. What they care about is having the product that they need when they need it. And if you can solve that, that is the actual job to be done. And so for some people, some households, a subscription where you can theoretically set it and forget it, that will work. Like that's sufficient. And if they get too much of it, it's okay. But if you look at most brands, and it depends on the product they're selling in their industry and whether or not they have like one-time and subs or not. But typically what you'll see is around 15% of a brand's customer base is a subscriber. And that might amount to 50% of their gross revenue. But what they have are real challenges around churn. And you'll see that in like their cancellation surveys, where like the number one reason people are canceling is too much product. And so what ends up happening is you have all these people who like your product who are canceling because they're having a bad experience. Mm. And when you look at it overall, only 10, 15, you let's call it 20% of your customers subscribe at all. So what about the other 80% of people who are buying from you? They are actively choosing not to subscribe. What are you doing to facilitate or foster like loyalty or, or great repeat buying experience with them? And I think that's where like segmenting your customers and stuff really matters and comes into play because it's like some people want to buy in bulk. Some people, and if you have like a garage and you don't live in New York City, like that's perfect. Some people want to just have more control. And my guess is like, in the early version of Rodeo was actually, before Rodeo, it was back when we were doing one quick pony. Like my solution to this was, I had a calendar reminder that I had for a product and I had a link mm-hmm. to the product detail page. Really? Okay. So we're both same, kind of in my Google weird.
1: calendar because I'll forget. Yeah.
0: It was the, <laughs> the same. So that was my solution was, I had a calendar reminder for all the different products. And then... When the, the reminder would come up, I would think, "Oh, do I need it or not?" And if I didn't, I would just change the date. If I did need it, I'd go and I'd buy more. And so we turned that into a product. And I describe it as sort of like a. If you think of brands so today, have like two gears. They have we we'll call it like manual, where the person goes and buys whenever they think of it, or they buy in response to an email, or they have they're going at 150 miles an hour, which is this auto fulfillment subscription. And sure, you have like pauses and skips in there, but by and large, your car is driving a hundred miles an hour and you're asking the customer whose credit card is on file to basically, oh yeah, pay attention and skip it if you notice it (laughs) and if you're not like so busy with your life, right? Like those are good things, but they're not just kind of enabling you to have some sort of control. And then what we have in the middle is what we developed, which is called On Demand, where you can shift gears from a normal subscription into On Demand, where your card's on file. What we do instead is we send you a reminder, let's say after 30 days, and say, Hey, are you ready for more? And you can snooze that, or you can essentially reply yes, and it'll automatically fulfill your order.
1: Okay. Right. So, so it's the
0: same mechanic as the subscription, yeah. but you're in full control. That's a difference. Interesting.
1: There's so many gears yeah. turning in my head right now because <laughs> every time people are explaining example or just different models, I'm always thinking of just myself as a consumer and myself as yeah. in this to really put into context. And I'm also thinking like, When we talked about you asking me about the subscriptions and I mentioned if it includes TV subscriptions or not, I was thinking Mm -hmm. about the fact that if you think about, I have an insane amount of subscriptions on TV, it's ridiculous. And no reminders. I just let it go. I just let it keep going. Like Netflix, Disney Plus, Apple TV, Crave, Amazon Prime. It's because there's always new content for me to look forward to. And I know it's coming. And I know Mm -hmm. they're investing time and money to have all these wonderful actors come and do new series I'm watching Bridgerton right now. I'm having a good time. Uh It's just all in all wonderful selling Sunset Prime. It's great. But I'm thinking about these other products that I almost dread looking at my credit card statement because I know I've forgotten a subscription product that I forgot to cancel or something like that. And seeing that charge is really, really painful sometimes. And it's so annoying (laughs) that it turned me off from subscriptions for a long time. I was like, you know what? I know I'm forgetful. I have to put this in my Google Calendar, but they're making me do these extra steps. Like you said, I am not going in 100 miles per hour like that car. And so mm-hmm. I like that idea a lot. And I'm curious to know if you have that model or your clients use that model, mm-hmm. how does it affect churn rates and retention of their customers? Like, how does that work? And how do you position that for your customers? Because I'm sure, I guess the balance, the beautiful balance of subscriptions is understanding the cash flow of consistent mm-hmm. revenue and handling churn rates. So how does that affect their churn rates and their retention?
0: I mean, the funny thing going back to like, what's the actual predictability of CPG subscription revenue? Most brands that if you're looking at the retention, it's worse between like the first and second or the first renewal, right? So between the first order and the second order. And so I'd argue it's not, maybe an aggregate it's predictable, but what's happening is you're, you're basically burning an enormous amount of money that you're spent on customer acquisition on people who, are canceling, not because they didn't like your product, but they're canceling because either you gave such a steep discount that they only subscribed for the discount, right? So that's a big one. The other one too, is that after that initial order, when they need it next, probably going to have a really bad experience, at least within the next two renewals, because if you're slightly off the first time, sure, they might let the renewal go through. But once once it renews again, at that point, they might have way too much product and that's when they probably cancel. And so what we found... So there's sort of two ways you can think of on-demand. One of which is it's a ramp that keeps a subscriber essentially active. So a lot of customers when they're canceling or about to cancel, we do two things. We'll call it the passive way to get someone into on-demand and then there's the proactive way. The passive way is let's say someone's canceling, you can present them and we present them with the option of rather than canceling, do you wanna to go to on-demand where you're in full control, right? As long as you're still buying the product consistently, you can still preserve your subscription discount if it's you now have more control over the flexibility. And what's great about that is it's still Pavlovian. It's still reminding the person they've opted into this reminder to see if they need more product, but and they're not canceling. And the stats are basically once someone cancels a subscription, by and large, like things are on like 90% of people don't buy again. So once someone cancels for good, they're gone. That's the moment where a competing brand will come up because they're no longer sort of in that mindset of buying. And oftentimes it's that they're canceling after a bad experience, which again goes back to not everyone who's on a subscription should be on a subscription. Like you should make it easy for them to buy repeatedly, but maybe the subscription program isn't the right way to do it or like the auto delivery subscription program. And so what we see around there is what, like half of people who are canceling actually stay on to on-demand. Those people are, rather than canceling altogether, they're staying on there. Their card is still active. And essentially they are still proactively engaged at some extent and still buying. The other side of the spectrum, which is the one I'm also really excited about is people who don't want to subscribe at all. Again, typically, that's the majority of any brand's customers. It's like, they'll buy from you, yeah. but they're not going to subscribe. They're not subscribing because they didn't know about it. They're actively choosing not to subscribe. And so for them, it's like, hey, like obviously, if you buy consistently, you're in control. And like we can show you the segment of your customers who do this. They obviously want more control, but they want to buy repeatedly. And then I think similar to like the story that you gave around like me, like we use our calendar to log <laughs> in. It's still kind of a pain, at least in full be. control. But like I what I like about the calendar is it reminds me, right? So it enables me to be in control and be like, yep, I need it or I don't. It doesn't, and if I forget about it, like hopefully I'll check my calendar again, but on demand we, we resolve that by we proactively just follow up and we don't hear anything. Part of what like, I say is think about this with your consumer hat. It's a better experience with that. And then at a certain level, you have to trust that if your product is good and people want to buy it, they will continue buying it if you make it easy. And if you're present when they need your product. And I think that it becomes like a weird dynamic though, because sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to give up the predictable revenue. And I guess our other point is like, well, how predictable is it? And truthfully, it's becoming less and less predictable because of all of the realities that we talked about around real world products and replenishment. And now there's all this competition. You're not going to build a great business off of, of people forgetting that they are subscribed to your product yeah. in part because That's it's so not like amazon scary. or hbo where you forget and yeah it shows up in your credit card bill but you're not ending up with like physical stuff in your apartment that you wasted your money on with cpg you get a reminder in the mail that you wasted your money yeah and i, I joke it's like <laughs> a it's rude
1: like, reminder actually
0: it's rude and i, I joke as like uh i was trying to somebody i was like if you like run out of toilet paper you blame god i i should have bought more But if a brand automatically charges you for something that you didn't need, you blame the brand because the brand made money off of your money. It wasn't like they are clearly in the consumer's mind to blame, even if it's not, I'm not even assuming that it's not, it's not like manipulative or whatever. It's just like, they're going to be blamed for it. And that's going to hurt your relationship. Like you were saying earlier, it's like that brand where you uh, charged for it, we didn't need it. Like you had a bad taste in your mouth, right? (laughs) So I think we're actively creating bad experiences for people at a time where providing a great experience is what helps you stand out and will help you build a sustainable... And you can still do that with recurring revenue with normal subscriptions, but it's about nuance.
1: So let's say for the listeners who are business owners trying to either scale their brand, starting a new product, or trying to figure out subscriptions for themselves, what yeah. do you think are the most efficient or the best practices with increasing revenue with subscriptions? Yeah.
0: Well, and I think the the first one that you even said, which was, you know, marine machine lines, but like time it on demand, I think it's, you can create relatively predictable revenue, not by automatically charging everyone every single month, but instead by having a larger pool of people who are buying, maybe not every 30 days, but every like, maybe some people are buying it 40 days, some people are buying it 55 days, but making it in a way where it's like almost a risk-free offer where you're asking the person, Hey, are you ready? As opposed to it being this sort of commitment where A lot of people are simply not going to opt into it because they don't, like you, it's like, we've all been burnt as consumers with bad subscription experiences. That's the new reality. (laughs) I think, so that's one piece of it, is just recognizing that a a single traditional subscription is not going to cut it. I'd say the other low-hanging fruit, and I like to think of things in terms of unlocks, like subscriptions when they first came out were an unlock for businesses to try and generate a lot more money than they were before when they are doing one-times. Post purchase upsells were another unlock. Like retargeting with ads was another unlock. But there are a number of like products that have come out that have unlocked new ways to create so revenue true. as a brand. Yeah. And so a lot of it's about looking at like, what are the, un- what's your stage of your business and what are the unlocks that are relevant that you haven't done yet, right? Like we think of user generated content, that's an unlock. Testimonials, that's another unlock. Not all of these are like products so per se, <laughs> but like they have a huge impact on conversion rate. They have a huge sure. impact on like referrals right? Like loyalty programs. The problem is that a lot of these things, once they're done, they get done ad nauseum and they become really annoying and not thoughtful. So I was gonna say, another one was thinking about the value that you're incorporating into your subscription offer. And that would encourage everyone to do is think around like, how can I frame this in a way where there are benefits on top of just the delivery of the product, whether that's through a digital product, like I've seen like cookbooks incorporated that are even email. They're not ever actually even like so. sent, like physically sent. Other ones are products that you can only buy if you're a subscriber or you get some sort of like steeper discount. So experimenting with things like that can be, can be a great way. Having partnerships with other brands where like your subscribers get a discount that only works yeah. with that one brand can be a cool one. Another piece that I would just in general warn people about is being really careful around how much they're discounting their product. Because one of the problems that we see, especially with unhealthy subscription programs, is when you're discounting a product more than, let's say, 20%, I'd say more than 15%, you're attracting people who just are buying for the discount, even if they don't want to subscribe. Like They just don't want to pay a full price because they're like, why would I... I know I can cancel, hopefully, but it's like, <laughs> why would I spend 20% more for a product that's being marketed? And so that's why it's actually really important to lead with the value. And like if you look at Amazon Subscribe and Save, you save five yeah. percent. You save five to ten percent on Amazon Subscribe and Save. You're saving like twenty cents. Like Amazon's not using the discount as a actual real motivator to subscribe. They're really focused on the convenience, and volume, yeah, and the volume for sure. But like, yeah, and they do have some things where like if you're think you can unlock higher discounts with yeah. consistent purchases, which is something that we've actually we play around with where like, the longer you're a subscriber, the deeper your discount to reward loyalty. But yeah, being really careful. And so I would say for most brands, like, make sure your subscription, it varies. So like, don't take this as like, the truth, but like, (laughs) the holy grail, like, but be mindful and test, like, offer it for like, don't but I would say in general, don't don't offer more than 20% off, because even at 20% off, like, it's a pretty steep discount. And what you're doing is you're giving, you're giving that discount. You're basically cutting into your margins for people who are only going to buy from you once. And they're only buying from you because you've made it so attractive. So yes, you are acquiring more subscribers, but your churn is going to increase and you're going to have an unhealthier business with worse margins.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to end no, it on a couple very quick questions because we always okay. end our episodes on lightning round and it's one of my favorite things ever. Our uh, team comes up with phenomenal questions. So I'm going to ask you three quick questions and then we'll close it out. So lightning round question number one, if you could describe your approach to customer retention in just three words, what would they be?
0: I'm trying to think in three words. Pizza, <laughs> <I'm
1: not kidding. laughs>
0: No, leading to our pizza. <laughs> pizza. That, is, that is actually funny. I hope um, not. <laughs> I'm not going to do the three word thing. I just can't think of three words. But it's like, <laughs> pro, it's like expert service. And by that, I mean like the purpose of a company is to serve their customers, but they'll tell you what they want. They'll tell you what they think they need. But oftentimes, a lot of things, you know, we're the experts. We're not an expert in the person's business, but we're the experts in that. We have the benefit of a lot of pattern matching and having worked with a lot of brands over the years. And so that would be it. Yeah,
1: love that. Only two what, words: you're power pizza. <laughs> 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 you're so efficient. You only chose two words. Do you have a there? you game go. Game Okay. Stuff. Okay. Second question is: Who would you say has mastered the art of marketing? And it doesn't have to be a marketer. It could be an artist or an athlete or a celebrity. Anyone. I'm hitting you with all the hard questions today.
0: <laughs> Not hard. There's a lot of really good marketers. I'm just trying to think of... He's having a moment right now. And I'm going to say it, even though I think it's cliche, but Alex Ramosi, if, I'm yeah. sure you've seen it. Yeah. If you haven't, what, he has a great book called $100 Million Offers. He's everywhere on the internet. He's a pretty like, ripped guy. I'm sure you've seen him on Instagram. But his content is exceptional, which is part of his content strategy, right? <laughs> see how that works. No, he's just really, really wise. I've learned a lot just by like reading his material, reading his book. He has a bunch of videos and then even on his YouTube, Instagram, whatever, like he's everywhere. Yeah, make sure you check him out, Alex from Rosie. I definitely will. Uh, he shares a lot of really thoughtful stuff that some of it like is very tactical. that You can actually apply without further context.
1: I will definitely check that out. And I'm sure whichever listeners... Who are have, yours? You
0: will. What are your two um, answers to those two? To those two ugh, questions. That's
1: a tough one. Oh, um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> no one <laughs> ever asked me that question. <laughs> three words. You have three words. Yeah. When my team writes these questions, that's for the experts to answer, not for me to answer.
0: <laughs> this is how every brand ends up selling subscriptions. <laughs> Until they have yeah. to subscribe. No, oh, I hate, no, I'm kidding. So what are your answers? <laughs> <laughs> there
1: you go. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I love subscriptions. <laughs> okay, describe my approach to customer retention in three words. That's a tough go. Experience, surprise, and delight. Because I think every yeah. time I'm working with Gameball customers, obviously oh, no. it's a little bit more like B2B to C, but yeah. every time I'm working with Gameball customers, the main goal of what we're trying to do when we come up with the loyalty program or a retention strategy for them is really focused around how they can delight and surprise their customers with good experiences, keep them coming back for more, all that. Yeah. So yeah, that's my answer for love one. That.
0: That's a great answer. That's better than mine. I want to borrow yours.
1: <laughs> I don't think so.
0: <laughs> can we swap?
1: <laughs> yes, Ben said it. If you're right, second one.
0: This came second up with a different question. voice,
1: slightly different voice. <laughs> second one, someone who has mastered the art of marketing. Actually, the name that popped into my head when you were talking about Alex Ramosi?
0: Ramosi, yeah.
1: Hermozy was Naval Ravikant. I don't know if you know him. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I've just seen everything you said about Alex is what I think about Naval. And Mm -hmm. I love his approach to life. I have the very same mindset of just whatever you put out there comes back to you and just the whole positive, optimistic view on things. I really do like his stuff. And he's a very successful person, obviously. Yeah. And he's the first person I think of when I think of someone who's mastered the art of like personal branding and success in marketing. But now back to you with the last and final question is... Which brand would you love to take over their subscription model for a year?
0: <laughs> well, it'd have to be for more than a year. I don't want to for them for life. You know what's funny? I would say I don't know if Alex has a like any of his brands. I think they're mostly gym brands.
1: You are all but, about Alex.
0: <laughs> hey, I love working with exceptional marketers. I think that is where coming really coming from the technical side. Like what I really enjoy is combining business and technology. And working with people who are just like so exceptional what they do. Let me give you another one. All right. So if Alex doesn't have a subscription product, I know who should. Harry Mack. You know who he is? He's all over the internet. Okay. He's a freestyle rapper on Eagle. Yeah. I love him not even saying CPG brands right now. (laughs) But he is one of the most talented freestyle artists I've ever seen. And it's kind of like when you see someone who's so exceptional what they do, it just like is inspiring. And so he's one of those people where I'm like, we could come up with any product. It would be amazing. So Harry Mack, Harry Mack. So I know I'm just like pre-marketing for people, but okay, let me give you an actual CPG oh. brand. I think they should be no, that's again. good. But, that's the whole point okay. of lightning. It we'll has right. to be
1: prompt, spontaneous, whatever this person yeah. that comes to your mind. Okay, perfect. I wrote that down as well. All right. Awesome. With that, we will close off. But thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the episode today. It was lovely having you. And I'm so excited to hear what people have to say about this episode because we covered so many topics. So much. All the analogies. So much territory.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Birds and the bees, everything.
1: Literally everything. You everything.
0: Could, awesome. You come
1: to a retention podcast, you don't expect to hear everything. So here we go. Always surprising. We hopefully we
0: retained you. Yeah. Awesome. awesome.
1: Thank well, thank thanks you so much, much for much having man. me. I
0: really appreciate it. It
1: was awesome to have you
0: on. All right. Take care.
1: Retain, the customer retention podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal lifetime customers, head to gameball.com. Make sure to subscribe to retain the customer retention podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you next time.